right, good morning, church. It's great to see you guys. Take out your Bibles and turn to John chapter 21. John 21, the last chapter in the book of John is where we're going to be this morning. And you guys saw the title, Back at It. Some of you are feeling that, right? School has started, back at it. My son, daughter, cheer, football, all back at it. Schedules, getting up early, back at it. I know that you're feeling that. Well, we're, we're kicking off a series today that, in a different sense, we're going to be talking about back at it. Before I get to our text, um, let me let you know about something that's coming up on September 11th. We have a life group fair. Um, one of the backbone ministries of our church, it's, it's foundational. Um, the, the gospel ministry is, is critically uh, tied to small group ministry, life group ministry in our church. And in a sense where you might be lost if you're just gathering the big gathering every single week and not really know what's happening or not be really with us as a church and understanding uh, what we're all about. And um, today we start a series called Back At It. And if you're feeling any sense right now of needing to hit the reset button sort of spiritually in your life, let me encourage you to be here on September the 11th. We're going to have a life group fair and emphasizing life group ministry, and um, at least take a look at it re-engaging in life group ministry. If you're not in a life group, we encourage you to be in a life group. Almost everything you need in the Christian life comes from community. And we're not talking about the kind of community like this, where you show up with a bunch of people and attend and leave and probably don't have any engagement. We're talking about the biblical kind, where there's a strong sense of belonging, there's, in, there's mutual sharing, there's praying for one another, meeting others' needs, loving each other. That only happens in a small group setting. This is important, but that is critically important. And so we do a fair on September the 11th to let you know what's there, let you meet the leaders, and even find a way, and Pastor Casey can help you with this, but finding a good life group that fits for you. And the good thing about life groups is we, we, we say try a bunch of life groups. Find the one that's right for you because that's the most important thing, one where you can contribute, one where you can be ministered to as well. And don't feel like you attend a life group and you sign in blood for the rest of your life and they're going to enter you into a blood covenant uh, that day or anything like that, okay? You can try life groups. As a matter of fact, do this for me. Everybody in here, if you're not in a life group, just give one a shot for six weeks. Yeah, I said it. Just try it for six weeks. And if you feel like it's going, great. If not, try another one. Give it another six weeks and just see um, if you want to do that. But come to September 11th Life Group Fair and you'll be introduced to all of those, all of those types of things. Okay? All right. So um, give, that, give that a shot. Let's get into our text. John chapter 21. I'm going to read verse 15 down to 19. If there's ever a Sunday where I felt like God really sovereignly chose the text, it's today. I think he does that every week, but for some reason he made me very aware um, that he specifically chose this text for us today, and there's something he wants to accomplish with us in this text um, individually, and it could be like in all kinds of different circumstances and scenarios he's going to meet us, but I really believe he's going to do something. He's going to meet with us in a very special way here today, um, and it's John 21. I'm going to start in verse 15. I'm going to read down to 19, and then we'll, we'll unpack it, okay? When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we just uh, sit here for a moment, uh, and Lord, we just focus in on this text, and as we meditate upon it, we pray that you'd work by your spirit to produce in us what you want for us. Meet with us, take us where you want us to go, do what you, want us to, want to do what you need to do in us um, to get us to do what we need to do for you. And so, Lord, we worship you, we offer ourselves to you, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, and we ask for it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, school is back in session, and um, I sent all three of my kids back to school this past week, one college, two in high school, and my son recently got a a computer from his uncle, my brother, thanks uncle, uh, and sent him a laptop uh, to work work with uh, in, in high school. And my, my son was all excited about it. I was helping him get it all set up and locking that sucker down, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, and I didn't know how to do that, but it took me days, and I finally figured it out. Uh, but then I thought, you know, I can't, there's no Microsoft Word on this thing. How in the world is he going to do a research paper? Are you, okay, so I'm not, some of y'all are just smiling like, what are you, crazy? You don't know, are you, are you living in the 1990s? Yes, actually, technologically, I am. But I was like, if you don't have Microsoft Word, how are you going to do a research paper, you know? And, uh, and he said, Dad, we do everything online. I don't need Microsoft Word. You know, they go on uh, Canvas or something like that. Shake your head, parents, if you're all with me. Okay, if I'm losing you. They go online, none of y'all shook your head. So I guess you don't know either. So let me, let me help you. I learned from the Dripping Springs Canvas. They go on Canvas, and they do everything on Canvas. So anyway, um, but they do all their research. They don't even need a printer anymore. That's crazy to me. You don't submit a paper, a literal paper. No, uh, they do it all online. Is there anybody that remembers this, uh, the, the photo I added to the screens there, right there, right? Um, see, a lot of y'all laugh because y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Y'all, y'all remember, um, to submit a research paper, kids, we had to put paper in a device. And you couldn't, and actually this was a modern version because you could plug it in and it was electronic. Uh, and uh, some of them actually had the whiteout button. I remember that. You hit the bam, it just went pop, and it just removed the letter. And you're like, yeah, well, that felt awesome. Um, but if you put paper in this and you got halfway down and you made a typing mistake, you had to take the paper out of the typewriter and then use something called whiteout and correct the whiteout. Now, forever your mistake is known, okay? You could submit a paper and there's whiteout everywhere on it because you don't want to retype a whole page of notes to try to submit this thing. You just want to move 
on and white it out, right? Today, select, delete, whatever, move on. Like it never happened, you know? Um, today, as my daughters have taught me, we can take endless photos, endless selfies, even in one sitting, um, until the wind hits your hair uh, in a certain way, just right, and your smile was just right, not crooked, straight, and, and you got everything perfect, and every person was where they needed to be, and the person walking behind you was right behind you, so not in the shot, and the light hits your skin just perfectly, and boom, on the 157th selfie, you look amazing. <laughs> when I was growing up, we had these, Right? I went to Disney World. I remember taking, going to Disney World, and my parents brought me one, one box camera. You know how many chances you get? 24. And then it starts hitting your wallet. This is how many chances. Now, if you really wanted to go up on the money, you could get the 39, right? You could get the 39 box camera. Where was I in all of this? Wouldn't it be great if we had a delete button in life? Um, wouldn't it be fantastic? Like it never happened. I, all of us have things in our life that we wish we could simply just push the delete button. That we don't have to have that picture forever in print. We can just delete it. That we don't have to have that error. We can just select backspace delete. Like it never happened. In our text today, the Lord Jesus is having a heart to heart with Peter. And if you remember... Jesus, during the Last Supper, told the disciples that they would all flee when he gets arrested. They totally, he totally told them what was going to happen. They strike the shepherd, all the people are going to flee, and you're part of it. You're going to flee as well. Except, and all of them kind of accepted it. They just stayed quiet except Peter, right? What did Peter say? Not me, Lord. And you can almost see him bow his chest out a little bit, right? When he said... He said this, specifically, he said, if all these deny you, I will never deny you. And notice the question that we just read. Do you love me more than these? So what's, what's Jesus doing? Jesus is saying, we got to deal with something, Peter, before we can move forward. We have to deal with something in your life before we can move forward. So Peter actually in the moment before the crucifixion, he said, you're all going to scatter. Peter says, not me. And he goes, in fact, Peter, let me just tell you what's going to happen to you. You're going to deny me three times in the next few hours before the sun even comes up. You're going to deny me three times in the most epic way possible. So Peter not only denies Jesus, but in Mark's account in the gospel, who was the closest to Peter, and it was probably Peter's personal account of what actually took place closest account it goes as far as to say that Peter called down a curse upon himself in other words he was being accused of being a follower of Jesus of being with Jesus and he said no at first I'm not and then he finally he, he bumps it up in the second one to say I'm telling you I am not associated with this man in the most radical way he goes on to the most radical way and he says if I have any association with this man then may I be accursed and in those days and in that culture, although that might not mean a whole lot today, in that culture it was the worst thing you could do. It's the most radical thing you could say to say I'm telling you the truth. 
May I be cursed if I have any association with that man. And then the rooster crowed. And what happened? Jesus connected eyes with Peter. Peter, Peter left that moment weeping bitterly, it says. Has there ever been a time in your life when you felt so strong in Christ and you faced a challenge in your life or, or a temptation or a hardship in life and you realized you were not so strong after all? You thought a whole lot more of yourself than you actually were. I think we all have. And, and we're in good company with Peter. Praise God for Peter. Amen. One minute you're voicing how strong you are, that a man, I, I, I hear an inspiring story of someone who faced death uh, in and, and, and a missionary field, and, and, and I'm inspired and I'm going to do the same. And then you go, eh. at the littlest challenge, I've had that in my life constantly. Well, after Jesus was raised, who did he appear to first? Women. All women first. And there's a very strategic reason for that. Praise God that he did. He, he appeared to women. But who's the first male individual that he appeared to? It was Peter. And we don't know exactly what happened in that encounter. We don't even know what was said. But apparently they didn't even deal with Peter's denial. Apparently it was just Jesus appearing to Peter and letting him know that he's risen from the dead with convincing proofs. And then after Peter, Jesus appears to all the disciples. Remember behind the closed door and Thomas says, I have to touch his side? Well, they have a, an appearance with the disciples. Thomas wasn't present. A week later, then Thomas is present. They have another one with him all right there in Jerusalem. But Jesus, before he died, said, tell him, go to Galilee. I'm going to meet you in Galilee. And he's going to have meeting, a meeting with them in Galilee. So they were supposed to leave Jerusalem and go back to Galilee to meet with Jesus. And so after he meets with Peter, after he meets with disciples, after he meets with disciples and Thomas, there's this limbo period where Peter, Jesus doesn't appear. And they remember, we got to go back to Galilee. And so they make the journey back to Galilee, and now they're just waiting. They're just in uh, sort of waiting for Jesus to appear again because they don't know what's next. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what we're doing. I just know he said, come here and wait on him to appear. And think about the context they're in. They're in Galilee. They're waiting around. He's going to show up, but he doesn't necessarily tell you when and all that stuff. They just wait. They're in spiritual limbo, waiting on Jesus. Have you ever been in a season where you were waiting on Jesus to do something that he said he would do? And you feel... Like you're just waiting on that to come through, him to come through, or him to appear, do something, for him to work, and you're just waiting. What do you do in those times? Well, we tend to do what Peter did. We just go to work. Pay the bills. Do things that are familiar. Do things that are controlled. Do you think all the drama of Jerusalem and all the darkness of the, and, the, and, the, and all the things that were facing, the drama was on the high, high, high. And you know what Peter's probably said? After all that drama and anxiety and, and, and stress on my soul, man, I just want to go fishing. I want to get away a little bit. Can you just feel that maybe that's what his thought was? He says, I'm going fishing. And you know what the disciples said? Yeah, I'm going with you. They all went fishing. Well, some of them. Peter's is in this sense of limbo, and he goes to what's familiar, controllable, 
he's competent, I know how to do this, and I'm going to what I know. They're all fishing all night, again, and is this a common narrative or what? They catch nothing. And you're like, man, find something else to do. Like, you know, you should catch fish if you're a fisherman. You should know where they are. But they're out there catching fish, and here again they catch nothing all night. And they hear a voice from the shore say, y'all caught anything? I know it wasn't exactly like that in the Greek, but that's how it translates to Texas. Y'all caught anything? Um, and they said, no. I've been working all night, caught nothing. I have been to the traditionally accepted place that this has been dedicated to uh, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, I, I took a, a um, picture of this particular spot. It's the next slide. And uh, it's the, I couldn't think of the word, panorama. Uh, photo option on your phone, right? I try to do as best I could, I could with that. But this is where that took place. And you can see on the shore there, there's some volcanic rock. It says that Jesus gathered um, actually some of those stones and created a fire there. Um, and they said it was about 100 yards from shore. So you could see where Jesus would stand on the shore, sound bouncing off the waves. They would hear him out there. He probably had to speak up a little bit. Um, and he says, have you caught anything? And you got to think about, too, we're not talking about Mayflower kind of boats, right? We're talking about little bass boats made out of wood with a little sail on it. Okay, that's what we're talking about, a little bit bigger than a bass boat. And they were out there about 100 yards. He says, have you all caught anything? They say nothing. He says, well, just throw on the other side. Now, to throw on the other side, it's not nets like today. They weren't like deep, deep dragging on the bottom of the sea. They had cast nets. They threw out the cast net, and it would land and come together, and they would see if they caught anything. And he would say, so for him to say, try the other side, is really everybody looking around at each other going, and he throws it over to the other side, and you get a cast net. And he says to do that. When they do try the other side of the boat, yank, right, there's 153 fish. The number is specifically mentioned by John, 153. What is that? It's, it's a miracle. They said they know that it's a miracle. John looks at Peter, and they look, connect eyes. He says, it's the Lord. Like, well, yeah. Notice Jesus from the shore didn't say, hey, it's Jesus. He works like that, doesn't he? No, he makes you do the math. He makes you discover him. And he said to them, try on the other side, a miracle happens. And then they look back at him and they go, Jesus. And he doesn't have to say who he is. You want to see God. And this is how he reveals himself a lot of times in your life. Do the math. Do the math. This side, zero. This side, 153. Jesus. This is what he's doing here. And all of a sudden... Peter hears, it's Jesus, the Lord, from John. And if you see something change in Peter, Peter, all of a sudden, it says Peter put on his outer garment and he wrapped it around him and he jumped in the water because Peter had taken all of that off to work. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. Your shirt off, you're getting sweaty and pulling and throwing nets and doing all kinds of stuff. Well, that's what he was doing. And it said he put on his outer garment and jumped in and swam that hundred yards to the shore to Jesus. And what's the point of that? Peter, when Jesus appears, Peter doesn't care about fishing anymore. When Jesus appears, Peter don't care about fish anymore. Peter obviously doesn't even care about being on a boat anymore. He does the, the full-on Forrest Gump. 
Y'all remember the movie? She jumps off the fishing boat. She's like, what are you doing? Like, I don't care about nothing else. I don't care about nothing else. When he appears, that's the moral of the story. There are special times when the spirit of Jesus, he shows up. Maybe even after a season where he's very distant, it's hard to feel his presence. It's a dry time. It's hard. And then when he comes and he's present, the, the response we should have is to drop everything and go with him no matter what that means. What that means. Drop and jump. <laughs> Forget the garment even. Just go. Because Jesus is here. Well, Jesus says, bring the fish. And the interesting thing in the text, if you look back at it before, uh, he says, bring the fish. Well, he already had fish. <laughs> Jesus said, y'all haul in your fish. And he had a fish already on the, cook, on the fire that he, played, he made. He was already cooking, cooking bread and everything for them. What does he mean? You don't have to go out there and find fish. I bring fish. I got fish with me. All you need is me. All you need is me. He says, bring the fish. They eat some breakfast on the shore. And in our text, I see Jesus inviting Peter to return. Inviting Peter to return. And I call it the invitation to return. Jesus is inviting Peter to return to the game. But we have to address something in your life for you to be able to return and return in the right way. There's something needful that we need to address. Do you need to hear the invitation of Jesus to return? But in order to return, let's deal with something in your life that needs to be dealt with, like a surgeon coming in to maybe do a little pain, but it's for your good. Jesus is counseling Peter along these lines. Jesus is saying, I want you to return, but we need to address something for your own good before what happens. Maybe you've just been through a season where it was very difficult to stay close to Christ. And maybe you lost touch with him. And maybe even made some serious mistakes along the way because of it. That's possible. I see three things here in Jesus' invitation to Peter to return that I would like for us to look at together. The first thing is this. Jesus is having him own the real problem. Own the real problem. In Peter's three denials, what problem is Jesus addressing? We see the obvious parallels and the fact that Peter was grieved because he asked him three times. He, he said the obvious parallel is three denials, three questions of do you love me. We see the obvious parallel there. Peter knew this was talking about the denials. What is Jesus addressing about the denials with asking, do you love me? That's the question here. If you're really wanting to drive the text and get it in your heart and hear what the Lord has to say, well, here's what I think it is. Peter's great weakness was his strength. And Jesus is helping Peter come to that place through his failure and revisiting his failure. Jesus told Peter, you're going to scatter. He says, no, I won't. Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. And he goes away weeping. And Jesus, by asking three times, is saying, Peter, we need to address that failure. Perhaps because Peter met with Jesus on the first time and nothing was said, Peter, perhaps somewhere in his heart, would think, maybe he forgot. Right? Uh, or not forget, but maybe it's 
not of consequence. Maybe it's something that we don't need to talk about. We can all just move on, right? No. No. And this moment, Peter goes, oh, we can't just move on. You feel that? I think that's what's happening here. And she's saying by asking three times, is showing Peter you have to own your failure because there's something by owning that failure you need to have. And Jesus here is saying, Peter, you need to own that failure and you need to own it 100%. Have you ever failed? Have you failed Jesus? Are you feeling a little bit of failure in your relationship with God? Well, the invitation of Jesus is to return. But returning to Jesus is not like hitting the delete button as if it never happened. And we don't even have to address it. Full ownership of it is necessary and healthy for your soul. It was healthy for Peter and Jesus was bringing that to him and it's healthy for us too. Confession is a powerful force in the Christian life. When we open our lips and send that confession upward, the chains break and fall downward. This is the process of us walking with Christ and addressing the things that need to be addressed in his presence. There is no circumnavigating confession in the Christian life. It is essential. It is necessary. Jesus will take you there and cause you to get it out. Why? Because it is for your welfare, for your soul's good. And the longer you go without confessing that thing, the more sick you'll become, the more blind you'll become, and the more distant from Christ you will feel. There is no circumnavigating. Go back to the place where you chose to love something else more than Christ. Go there. Yes, it's grievous. Yes, it hurts. But it, you need to go there and you need to own it. Own it. Make no excuses. Fully own your choice, your powerlessness, your failure. Call it what it is and what it was and own it fully before the Lord. Secondly, feel the right sorrow. It says Jesus brought grief to Peter's heart. Jesus intentionally made Peter feel grief. And this is grief that is um, a deep hurt. He's counseling Peter, and Jesus needs Peter to feel a sorrow. To feel sorrow. And it needs to be the right kind of sorrow, though. And when we experience Jesus restoring us, we have to know there is a right kind of sorrow in that process. And there's a wrong kind of sorrow in the process. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Hear that? How do you get to a place where it's, it's past and it's done? No regret. You don't even feel the weight of the regret of it. How do you get there? Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. There is a sorrow that you can feel that only leads you deeper into death. 
And yet there's a godly sorrow that actually leads to salvation. What's the difference? Sorrow sorrow, right? No. No. Worldly sorrow, the sorrow the Bible's talking about right here, is a sorrow that's still hanging on to its pride. Parents, you know, you know the difference when your child is sorry for getting caught, right? I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry I look bad right now in front of other people. I'm sorry that this hurts and I'm in trouble. But that's a sorrow that leads to death if that's all there is. They're not actually coming to the place where they, they own it in their heart. I see the wrong and I admit that and I own it and I feel grievous about my actions that may have hurt someone else and it especially because it hurt the heart of God. And I feel that kind of sorrow. See, that's godly sorrow. And it's very different. Although it may look similar on the surface. And let me say this. Both sorrows can actually lead to behavioral change. But one leads to death and one leads to life. Godly sorrow leads to full acceptance and ownership of my wrongs. That I see my wrong. I see my weakness, my failures, and the shifting of my heart to embrace the facts as they are about me. And I agree that it was wrong, I had hurt people, that is godly sorrow. And the difference is found in one word, repentance. I align myself with the truth, and, I, and if I align myself with the truth, I stand in judgment even on myself. I was wrong. I was not good. I did evil. I did sin. And I fully accept those things because I have turned and aligned myself with the truth about me in those situations. So godly sorrow is coming to the place where we acknowledge I am totally bankrupt in my ability to repair or escape my failures. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. Have you ever failed Jesus? Is the Holy Spirit bringing any sorrow to your heart this morning? Or maybe pointing out a failure somewhere. Something you know you need to address in your life. Well, here's the thing you don't do. Don't say, yeah, well, we're all sinners. Don't say, well, I mean, I haven't sinned like other people I know in this church. There's some real sinners in this church. You want to start talking about sin, right? Don't say, well, if so-and-so wouldn't have said so-and-so, then I wouldn't have done this. Or if they would have done this, I would have done. All of that, you, even if you feel sorrow in that moment, is not a sorrow that's leading you to life. Listen to the question of Jesus. Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than anything? The proud heart responds to that sorrow by thinking more of ourselves and how we're being viewed. Godly sorrow causes us to be overwhelmed with how our failures have affected another person and affected Christ himself in his heart. Thirdly is receiving the renewed position. And I'm going to share this with you and we're done. And this is powerful. 
Jesus says three times to Peter, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my lambs, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. Every time he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Tend my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. We don't, this doesn't make a lot of sense for us today. It doesn't naturally just say, oh, okay, I know exactly what he's talking about. But in the day, let me tell you how awkward this combo was. What Jesus was obviously doing was pointing to Peter's failure and then telling him to feed the sheep. Here's basically what he was saying. You failed me big time, right, Peter? Yes. Now you're the leader. That's what he was doing here. Do you all hear that? Peter, did you fail me? Yes. You're the leader. Did you fail me big time, Peter? Yes. Now you can lead. This is what he was saying. Now, we don't get that. That doesn't seem right. We would think that we would hear Jesus say, uh, Peter, have you, have you uh, failed me? Yes. Well, um, this isn't personal. You know, it's business. And I just need a leader who's strong. And I need a flawless track record. I can't have, like, that kind of failure as my main leader. Okay? Like, you denied me, like, and then call down a curse on yourself. Right? Okay, so that didn't work. I'm, I'm going to need to make a shift of leadership. Okay? And it's nothing, nothing personal. I don't want you feelings hurt I'm just telling you I'm gonna have to make a shift I would get that why because if you want to get something done as far as establishing a kingdom in the world you don't use you don't use guys at the top who who denied your any association with you and yet Jesus is saying you failed me right Peter you're the leader what is that about what is that Peter you have no strength to follow me? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Huh. Now you're talking. Get in here. <laughs> Peter, you're weak. Yeah. You don't have any strength to follow me and to die for me. No, I don't have it. This is what's happening here. And Jesus says, well, now, come on, now you can lead. Now you're the leader. Then he says at the end, follow me. Did y'all catch that? Follow me is not uh, just, uh, all right, uh, y'all come on, leave the boat. Y'all come, come follow me. Let's walk over here. No, follow me is uh, a rabbi approaching a student saying, follow me. Come into my school. Follow me and be like me. Well, Jesus had already said this to Peter. Remember the whole miracle of the fish thing? And Jesus comes up to him, I am a sinner. You know, get away, depart from me, Lord, I am a sinner. And then he says, leave all your nets and your, your father and everything and come follow me. Peter's already followed him. Peter's already signed up for the school of discipleship. Peter is a disciple and he says to him again, follow me. What is that? Peter, you are totally and completely reinstated. Having owned your failure, having acknowledged your weakness, having accepted the grief of your own inabilities, I now make you the lead. When we are weak, then we are strong. Christian leadership is not from strength. 
It's from weakness that is totally dependent upon the Lord himself. If he doesn't do it, I don't do anything. It's only him. Is there a need in your life for you to rededicate your life to Christ this morning? I, I believe we're in a season where that's what the Spirit of God wants to do in his church. He wants to meet with us and he wants to restore us to himself. He wants to deal with any failures or anything that we've done in the past few years where we have gotten away from him or chose something else other than him or totally failed him. He wants to address those things with us. He wants us to walk through that grief and he wants to restore us in his church because I believe he's, on the, he's about to be on the move in a big way. And before that happens, he's saying, church, get in here, let's deal with some stuff. Are you here this morning and you're hearing the Spirit of God in your heart? No, he's pointing to some things that you really have not addressed with him. And there's no moving forward until we go back. Do you feel that in your heart today? Well, then meet with him. It's the Lord. He loves you. He is gentle and lowly of spirit. He is not there to condemn you. He wants to restore you. And yes, it's a little bit of a painful thing for him to point to these things. You may have to confess to some people. He may take you through a little painful process of getting all that stuff out of your heart. Him doing surgery in your heart. But oh, do it for your own life. And guess what? The regret that you're caring about it will fall. And you'll be free. He loves you. Get into that grief. Process it out. Let him heal you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. And Lord, as we just sort of stand on the shore and listen to your conversation with Peter, hmm, Lord, I pray that we would even hear you look at us around that campfire and say what needs to be said. I'm mindful, Lord, that on that shore, you are preparing Peter for Pentecost. You are about to rush in by your spirit, and Peter was going to be the one that speaks up. But he needed to deal with his failure and be reconciled to you beforehand. Lord, you want to do this in your church. And I pray today we would meet with you in this response time. As we sing this song, play music, Lord, that we would have a campfire moment with you. That it would just be you and us to say what needs to be said. Process what needs to be processed. Own what needs to be owned. And Lord, that you would hear that we would hear from you. Follow me. I pray that that's heard loud and clear, and that you bring great freedom and liberty because of this moment. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me all across the room? We're going to sing, but let's let's have that moment. Let's get on that shore with the Lord, and let let's have that conversation with Him right now. Okay.